Uh, we're, look, we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 uh, and 3, and then picking it up again at verse 21 to 23. And this is God's word. Paul writes, I plead with you, Odia, and I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Verse 21. Greet all the saints in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send greetings. All the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. So what is the evidence? What's the validity, the, the power of the Christian message? What proof is there? What proof is there that the Christian message actually makes a difference for the better? That's a question that I think Philippians chapter 4 answers for us. It gives us a case study to see how the gospel does us good. And so really, it's a, a big celebration of the gospel. And what I want to show you this morning is four things as to how the gospel makes a, a difference for the better in, in our lives today. I think it's a question that many people are interested in, certainly a question I'm interested in. Um, lots of people are always trying to change and improve. Well, you cannot make a better change than improving in line with the truth. So we're going to see the positive difference, the difference for the better that the gospel brings into your life, into the life of the church, and I would argue indeed, therefore, for everyone in the world. Four things we'll look at this morning to see that, especially as to how it changes your relationships with one another. Okay, that's where we're going. How does the gospel actually bring about a, a positive difference in your life? The first thing we see is that it enlists you to a great cause. Paul mentions that in verse 3. You see, he talks about all these people who have struggled side by side with him in the cause of the gospel. It enlists you, it enlists every Christian in this great cause. This is actually one of the big, big themes of the letter to the Philippians. We don't have time to do too much work in it, but if you turn back to chapter 1, and you can see in verse 5 that this is where Paul begins, actually. He talks to these Christians in a very particular way. He gives thanks, verse 3. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. And then he says, in all of my prayers, look for who he's praying for. In verse 4, in all of my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. And then verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel. Throughout the rest of the letter, he gives us good examples and bad examples of what it means to be a partner in this great cause, to be a partner in the gospel. And indeed, when we turn to the passage I've just read, there are lots of people who are brought together in, in the cause, in the advance of the gospel. Now, what, what am I saying here? Well, it's a really simple point. But this is what it means to be a Christian. You have been enlisted to a great cause. 
Did you notice that, that Paul said that it's not just a few Christians who are partners, but it's every Christian. He says, I, in all of my prayers, I pray for all of you, thanking God for your partnership. And he didn't simply mean a few people in the Philippian church at that, at that time. He meant every single one of them. Euodia, Syntyche, Clement, along with all of my fellow workers, he says in our passage. It enlisted them all to a great cause. So this is what it means to be a Christian. You are now part of a bigger story. You have been caught up in the very purposes and plans of God. You've been enlisted in this great cause. You are now part of a bigger story. And I think this is so important for us to see today as Christians, to realize this. Because the rest of the world actually would say that it's your story that matters most, right? You listen to the contemporary, modern narratives, and they will tell you that you not only are the center of your story, you're the author, publisher, and chief marketing professional of your story. It's all about you, right? And the big creed of today is do whatever makes you feel happy. But I don't need to convince you of this even perhaps if you're just looking on in Christian things, but that has sent our culture into a tailspin because there's a crisis of meaning out there for so many people today. They don't know what self to be true to. The Christian, however, has been caught up into a bigger story, given a greater purpose. You've been enlisted to a great cause. That's the first thing we see. It gives you, why is the gospel so good? It gives you a sense of, of purpose, of meaning. It gives you a whole new identity. You've been caught up in God's bigger story. Look with me then secondly as to, I've made mention of this in some way already, but what types of people are actually enlisted? What we see as the gospel burst onto the scene in the, uh, the history of the world, as it enlisted all sorts of people, it had an equalizing effect. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, look very carefully with me and ask, who is it that actually is enlisted here? We've read it this morning, and I've made mention of it um, already, but it really is quite explosive what Paul is doing here. The, the equalizing effect, the fact that the gospel causes all of the boats to rise in the same way. Because look with me, first of all, um, it, we'll, look at the, uh, we'll look at the actual situation in a moment, but he does mention Euodia and Syntyche, two women. Okay? And it's obviously Paul who is writing here, a man. Okay? No, no, no prizes for, for being obvious for stating the obvious. But this would have been explosive. The fact that what Christianity was doing was bringing together men and women. It was unheard of, actually, at the time in terms of the way religions worked. And indeed, it's still confronting to many major world religions today. But when the gospel broke in, it pulled down all the, the uh, barriers between the genders. 
Because Paul wants these two women to agree. He sees them the same way as he sees everybody else, as fellow workers. This is radical. The fact that you're sitting like this together is a sign of the good of the gospel today. You can go to other major world religions and you'll find that men and women have to be separated in order to worship their God. The fact that you can simply sit beside one another, men and women, is, is revolutionary. But not only that, of course, um, it not only brought down gender barriers, it also transcended ethnic and cultural barriers too. I mean, it is wonderful to see, to look out this morning, and as Kieran has mentioned already, so many different cultures, so many different, different ethnicities. But this would have been radical when it first happened. Because you have, you have Paul, a Jew, working shoulder to shoulder with people like Yodia, Syntyche, and Clement, Gentile names. Two types of people, two ethnicities, two cultures that up until this point were poles apart and could not stand each other. When the gospel comes into a person's life, it completely transforms the way they see people from different ethnicities and, and cultures. It brings freedom. It brings liberty. It brings, it brings equality. All these things that we so much treasure today and champion, right? This is what's the modern narrative is all about championing, championing these, these rights, these liberties, these freedoms. And where do they come from? Where does all this um, emphasis on equality and diversity and dignity for all, where does it come from? It comes from nowhere else other than the historic, orthodox, biblical teaching. And yet what you find in today's culture is that so many people who are for these things bite the hand that feeds them, are actually against the foundations upon which all of these liberties and, and freedoms and rights are, are actually built. But it not only equalized gender and ethnicity and culture, but also social and economic standing as well. The gospel has a universal appeal. And it unites the most unlikeliest of people. Because Paul makes mention just at the end of the very chapter, um, in verse 21 and 22, the fact that, well, he's in prison writing this. He's lost his freedom. Um, but just look with me at verse 22. He says, all the saints send you greetings, especially, and then he makes note, especially those who are of Caesar's household. Here he is in prison unable to, to move, he has lost his freedoms, but there are those who are of great influence, who have much power in that society, people who are in Caesar's household, perhaps with economic and social influence. Well, the gospel is even at work there. We see it uniting, unifying all different types of people. This is the good that the gospel brings into the life of anybody who now accepts it. So, as Christians, we belong to a story that is bigger. We belong to a story that is better 
better than anything in the world can, can, can give us. And we are invited into a story where we belong to serve one another. This is uh, where the whole problem arises then in verses 2 and 3 with Euodia and Syntyche. Because what we see is that Paul says you've been enlisted to this, to this great cause. Um, each of you, all of you, are equal in your um, ownership of it. But there will be times when you're called to endure with one another. Because we do find that there is a problem. That is really the reason why he's, he's writing these verses in 2 and 3. Uh, Euodia and Syntyche, he says, I want you to, to agree with one another. I want you to, to be real with each other, but I want you to, to agree. I want you to endure with one another. And then he makes mention of, a, of someone in verse 3, which we all should aspire to be. He says, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side. I think this is actually really why the Bible is, is so good. It's so good for us to meet together and to read what's actually written down. Because when you read the Bible, you could get the impression from what I have said already that being a Christian is just wonderful. You've been given a whole new purpose and identity and, and you've been brought together all with different types of people and one big cause. And it could sound as if life is rosy and everything's perfect. But when you come to the Bible, you find out actually that that's really quite hard work. And the Bible doesn't sugarcoat anything. I think it's actually really quite, uh, it's good that we're not told what these women were actually fighting over. Because you will know if you've been in the church long enough that Christians have the tendency to fight and divide over absolutely everything, almost anything. And we need, therefore, we need one another to help us continue in, in our calling, to continue in being united in this, in this great cause. I also think it's really quite helpful that we're not told exactly who this loyal yoke fellow is. You know, ink has been spilt as to who this person might be. Who is this loyal yoke fellow? This, um, this servant with Paul. Who, who is this person? but we're not told who it is. And I actually think that's really quite good too. Because you all in here could breathe a sigh of relief if he wrote, and yes, I ask you, dear pastor, to help these people. Or dear elder, please make sure that these women um, resolve their differences. Or leader, but he doesn't. He just calls him a, a, a loyal yoke fellow. What does that mean? It's simply somebody who has taken on the responsibility for somebody else, for something else. And what I've said already should help us understand that this could therefore arguably be anyone in the Philippian church. Anybody at all. To take on the task of helping these two women resolve their differences, to, to help them to endure with one another. I don't know how you're feeling after covid Right? I'm not sure if you're still feeling the, the backwash of it and you're still tired 
um, and you're still finding interaction with other people a little bit difficult, um, I'm not sure. Um, what one of the effects of COVID, I think, certainly long COVID, if you want socially speaking, is that many people I encounter today just can't be bothered with others who are going to inconvenience them. What has COVID, COVID taught many, many people? Well, it's actually to look after number one, to get on having a good time as much as you can because you never know when things might fall apart again. So, so make sure that you're having a good time. And that can seep into us as Christians as well. But here in Emmanuel Church Dublin, you want to be stepping into the shoes of the loyal yoke fellow. Here's why the gospel does us good, because it turns us away from ourselves and helps us to focus on one another. It says, look, the church is not going to be an easy place. The church is actually going to be quite a difficult place for you to live and grow as a Christian. But that's part of the point. If it was easy street, well, you know, you would never grow. It's only when we encounter the difficulties with, with one another that we're caused to question ourselves. Have I done something wrong? Could I have done something better? Is there another way in which I could have helped? So look around. What do you see? You might actually see problems as you look around. And that's a great blessing. It's a great blessing because it's only by being committed to enduring with one another that we're going to grow. And if we're going to do that, the fourth thing we need to see is where that motivation comes from. You have been caught up into a bigger story, a better story. You've been caught up into a story where you belong to serve other people. But how are you going to continue to do that as a manual church Dublin? Well, you need to see, you need to see finally, the fourth thing, that the gospel comes into your life and it eliminates, it eliminates your need to prove yourself. It eliminates your need to make much of your own name. That's the only way that you're going to serve another person. If you're not using them for your own ends, but are actually able to serve them for theirs. And the only way you will be able to do that is when you realize when the gospel comes into your life, it no longer says to you, you've got to make a name for yourself. You've got to prove your worth. You've got to prove who you are. Because look at how Paul ends in verse, in verse, three, verse uh, 3. He reminds them, all of them together, that their names are in the only place that matters. Do you see it in verse 3? He says, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers. Now look at this. Here's the motivation. This is why he should do it. Because their names are written in the book of life. When that sinks into your life, when you realize that your name is in the only place that really will matter in this world, then you're freed from having to make a name for yourself. You're freed, actually, 
to pour out your life for others, regardless of what they give back to you. Because you know already that your name is in the book of life. This is what Paul had discovered. This is what gave him a brand new identity, a purpose, a meaning. You know, so he, he, he was a man. He was a Jew and not a Gentile. He was, he was in prison, not free. But all of those identity markers were relative to Paul because he knew that there was one place where his name was that the world could not touch. And so he was free. He was able to pour himself out because he knew that his name, even his name, even Paul's name, was in the book of life. You might say, how's that possible? How could somebody like Paul say that his name, along with Judah and Syntyche, who were causing problems, how could he say that their names were written in the book of life? Well, this is the gospel, isn't it? That God sees you better than you know yourself. He sees your heart. He sees you right to the very bottom. He knows exactly what you're like. When the doors are closed and you think nobody else is listening, he knows exactly even what your thoughts are. He sees you right to the very bottom. And yet, this is the gospel, still he loves you. Still he loves you. In fact, he loves you so much that he came himself in his son to take the punishment that all of our wrongs, all of our disagreements, all of our envy, all of our lukewarm faith deserved. He came and he hung on the cross to take the punishment for you and for me. In other words, it was his name for yours. The only way you could get into the, the book of life, your name could be there, is because it was his name for yours. He wrote his name in the book of death. In his blood. So that it might be the last name for all who will truly believe in him. And when that sinks into your heart, when you realize that your name is in the book of life, not because of what you have done, but because of what he did for you, when you realize that it's only by grace that your name is there, that you're as undeserving as everybody else, then you can pour out your life for people who don't even deserve it because you realize you didn't either. And this is the great benefit, the great good, at least one of them anyway, in terms of your relationship with one another. There is the motivation that you need in order to go on serving one another and pouring out your life for each other. What joy it is to, to belong to the people of God who have been bought by the blood of Jesus so that we might actually together be united in this great cause of advancing the gospel together. Paul begins this chapter, it's a, a little case study really in chapter four of what it means, the benefits and, and good that the gospel brings into our lives. And we have a great opportunity to show the watching world how good it is to belong to him. Let's pray.
Almighty and everlasting Father, we thank you so much for the gospel of your Son. We thank you for the message that he came and gave his name for ours. We pray that as we stand in the assurance that that brings to us, we might therefore then begin to live out the goodness of the gospel in our relationships with one another. So help us to to see the great cause that you've brought us together to advance. Help us to pour ourselves out one for another, regardless of where we've come from or, or what our past or history might be. And we ask that you would help us to encourage one another to do this all the more, knowing that each of our names is written in the book of life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.